the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Spring gleaning is here. The buzz has been building. We get excited when you get excited. And lots of listeners, as we've been promoting it, uh, have certainly indicated that this is an an off-season part of uh, their listening experience, their college football fandom. So we are excited to bring it to you. Today, we will be doing the ACC Atlantic Division. Later this week, we'll be doing the ACC Coastal. It is ACC Week here for spring gleaning. Uh, so, you know, we're talking Clemson. We're talking Florida State. Uh, lots to dig into a little bit later on. But, gentlemen, we begin with uh, what is one of the biggest news stories in all of college football. And I don't want to digest every uh, news story through a totally selfish lens. But, man, I was sweating an emergency podcast on Friday. Like I was, I was sitting around and, you know, I was like, all right, are we going to have to put up the, the horn? Is this, is Les Miles going to be fired today? And that's, that to me seems like a, a possibility. Now we've had a few developments um, to the story. And right now Les Miles is on administrative leave as Kansas investigates uh, allegations that uh, date all the way back to the early 2010s uh, from LSU. And so, We've got a lot of reporting right now where it seems like it's a, it almost seems like it's a document drip, right? It just seems like it is one of those, uh, all the emails have been put together and evidence has been provided in this reporting that uh, Les Miles had, let's see, Miles, according to USA Today, Miles was accused of texting female students, taking them to his condo alone, making them feel uncomfortable, and on at least one occasion, kissing a student and suggesting they go to a hotel after telling her he could help her career. Again, that from USA Today. Yikes. Um, so we still may end with an emergency podcast at some point where we have to talk about, uh, Kansas moving on from less miles and a power five job opening. But, uh, I guess, you know, reaction to the news, your thought as we record here on Monday afternoon on where we're at as usual, uh, I think that we don't have any winners, like it's only losers and losers dating all the way back to everybody who was involved with this and just sort of the way that Kansas is in protect itself mode, trying to make sure that they come out of here with as little liability as possible. Um, I'm going to open floor. Who, who wants it? Well, I don't think there's a may about whether or not we're going to have an emergency pod. Cause I, I think that it's probably a hundred percent certainty at this point that we're going to have a Kansas coaching candidate kind of podcast coming up here soon. And that we've got one coaching search left before the season begins because 
just based on everything that you've read so far that's come out, I don't I don't see any way in which Kansas enters the 2021 season with Les Miles still as their head coach. I don't think that I it's like you said that everybody's a loser in this situation. I think that you'd only be making matters roughly a billion times worse if you don't move on from Les Miles at this point. I would agree with that. I don't, I mean, I think we got a new head coach for Kansas. I don't know if they do interim, you know, I, I don't know what they, uh, but you know, I, I don't know if we should be judged. I'm not going to judge whether we should or not. I don't know. Danny, where are you at with the Les Miles story? I don't think he's there. I think he'll be, uh, I think he'll see a new coach. Um, you know, probably there are a couple things to me that suck out the 2013 email from Joe Oliva recommending after they reviewed all the evidence that they should fire him at the time. Uh, it's a horrible look. I mean, you talk, I mean, there's a bunch of less miles looks really bad. LSU looks really bad. Uh, especially considering the other title nine investigation that's going on, looking into their handling of players. I mean, LSU looks like a complete mess. I don't know with the NCAA with its issues, you know, with COVID and not meeting, if they'll do anything and they, they, if they do, it'll take two years or whatever, you know, it just takes forever. Um, I also, there's a part of me that wonders, and I like Jeff Long, but I wonder if he is responsible for some of this too. Like, where is the, was there enough due diligence done before he was hired or it was just his old buddy from Michigan in the nineties that he said, yep, let's bring in less and, you know, kind of let this fall by the wayside. Because at some point, if you're a fan of Kansas, aren't you asking that question? Like how this, you're reading this report from 2013. You're like, where was, why didn't we know about this? How did we make this higher? So I wonder if Les Miles isn't the only one that's having to, um, you know, possibly be looking for work after this is all uh, said and done. Yeah. And like you mentioned Jeff Long too, because like there's a situation of him hiring Les Miles at Kansas. And I'm not comparing the two situations directly, but I feel like Jeff Long, he's the same AD who hired Bobby Petrino. And we saw how that ended up at Arkansas and what caused that tenure to end. And now we're seeing what's causing Les Miles' tenure to likely end at Kansas. And it's like, at some point, Jeff Long probably needs to do a little bit, you know, like there was the report from our own Dennis Dodd that said, you know, Kansas properly vetted Les Miles before hiring him, which, okay. But it's... Like a background I, check? Is that all yeah, they did? Like he called and said, <laughs> do you pay want the job? Yeah, you pay 150 yeah. bucks to the company to do the background check for you? <laughs> yeah, so I just, I, I would be, I, I, I'm not as certain on it as I am with Les Miles, but I wouldn't be shocked if Jeff Long is finding himself out of work here soon too. Yeah, I, I thought the Les Miles hire was was kind of silly to begin with. If you can't yes. win with LSU's players, I don't think you're the right guy to turn around Kansas. Um Really nice jo- uh, job today by, by Trey Scott on the College Ball Daily, our, our sister podcast over there on 24-7. He, he talked to the Kansas Insiders. Look, KU's a school that, that tried to make up fake allegations against David Beatty to avoid paying him $3 million for his buyout, right? So I don't think this Les Miles thing is going to be wrapped up quickly. I think Kansas is going to try to get all, get all of its ducks in a row so it can avoid paying the $8 million buyout for Les Miles and a $3.5 million buyout for Jeff Long. Like It seems like that's what the school's practice is usually is i mean i i don't know exactly what went on at lsu but if kansas does find that there's enough to you know to fire less miles uh, then i think it'll take its time and make sure that it doesn't way that it, it can get out of the deal yeah I, i'd completely forgotten about the Beatty thing and that's the situation <laughs> and didn't they end up paying the lawyers more than they would have had to pay Beatty to begin with 
<laughs> can't say for sure, but I mean, it, it wouldn't. I mean, billable hours me. always it's ends like, up coming out. Yeah, I, I say there's no winners. Uh, and the the cynical side of me says, don't forget about billable hours. Billable hours always uh, getting a little bit of a boost in, in situations like these. Just just from an efficiency standpoint, I feel like Kansas is burning way too much money on a football program that gives them absolutely nothing in return. Well, all right, before we get to, I want to at least uh, hit touch on the LSU side of this one more time, but what about Kansas? So we've got uh, a football program that is now going to be in upheaval. We've got an athletic department that looks like it might as well. And, you know, if nothing else, that this is really causing some serious disruption uh, around things in Lawrence. Like, Kansas football already fights an uphill battle. It already has a very, very different calculus for what the expectations are going to be at that school. And now, I mean, what's what could you sell to a head coach? What could you sell to somebody who you're trying to get to come in and replace Les Miles in the wake of this? Uh, is is that a job that you think is uh, is worth taking a chance on if you are an up and coming coach? Only thing you can sell is how much we're going to pay you. Yeah, yeah. That it's. Just, I mean, you get a coach who wants a head job bad enough, and he'll take it, and he'll kind of take his lumps and say, "All right, well, then pay me for seven years." Almost like Matt Rule, the deal he got at Baylor. The thing was, Baylor was one of the best programs in the country at the time. Remember, and then you know he got him right back to rolling. This is a program that's been down in the dumps for a decade plus. It's not. I mean, it's really. I mean, that's going to have to be what it's about. Is, you know, and that's why, Chip, when you said at the beginning, I think it was you that said we might have an interim coach situation, like that might be the best option just to stabilize things, see if maybe you get lucky and you get two or three wins out of an interim coach and then you can kind of just ride with him and see if you can at least get through this storm and, and see what happens down the road. I don't, I mean, I, I can't think of a good quality candidate taking this job as saying, yep, this is a great career move. I just don't, I don't know if that's out there. I talked to somebody who, who was supposed to be putting together a hot board and ha- have it ready for, for when, when or if Miles is fired. And the word they gave me was depressing. Yeah. And I don't think Kansas has money to, to pay for head coach either. Like, like they're, they're not swimming in it, even though they're a P5 school. Well, it was funny because I was looking at Article 2 and I saw like the usual names like Lance Leipold and Jeff. I'm like, these coaches aren't taking this taking job. That. You know, <laughs> like, that's why I'm like, they're, they'd be, and they'd be foolish to. So. You know what? Lance Leipold Uh-oh. might take the Kansas job <laughs> because Lance Leipold, like he took the Whitewater job and he said part of the reason he took the Buffalo job was because it was, you know, a relatively new program there was really nothing in place and he was able to take something that didn't exist and build the program he might look at kansas in that same kind of light whereas listen i'm coming in and i'm just going to be able to build a football program pretty much from the ground up so maybe he would but i think we all know what direction i think kansas should go in here and it should be run the option yeah run the option absolutely Mm -hmm. without a doubt to lay into kansas just Uh saying Willie Fritz. Uh, okay, so what about LSU? Uh, as we start to look ahead right now, as we're recording, there seems to be some student unrest around uh, LSU. So outside of potentially uh, blockading LSU players from being able to drive out of the parking lot uh, as they are having their demonstration uh, calling for the resignation or firing of current staffers that are suspended uh, amid ongoing investigation into everything that happened at LSU. Now, what we might a be cleaning up from the past. B it, 
do you think that there, any of this is going to extend to the present in any uh, major significant way? If you are Ed Ogeron, and we're going to be getting into the SEC, I believe is the next conference for our spring gleaning. Like as you're go, trying to go through spring ball and you're thinking about the quarterback battle and Miles Brennan hopefully being healthy, healthy like are you worried at this uh, at this investigation that it ends up uh, continuing to to impact the program in a negative way? I I would think so. I mean, I have. When it comes to the Miles stuff that's going back to 2013 and probably before that and the Title IX stuff that's been happening in recent times, I have a very surface-level knowledge of everything that's going on. So I want to put that disclaimer out there because it's not like I've been digging deep into like court documents and all this stuff. But just from the 500-mile perspective, it's not it's, there's a lot of bad things going on in that LSU athletic department just from a cultural perspective in which it feels like they had some signs years ago that things were going poorly. And then, you know, I guess if you go, Danny, you mentioned that email from former AD Joe Oliva about what he felt they should do at the time. We kind of saw, we, we know what they didn't do when they knew all that. So that kind of gives you an indication. And then even in recent years where there's been more of a sea change as far as the, you know, just the country in general of these kind of situations and trying to change and trying to improve situations. LSU has clearly kind of said, uh, I'd rather win football games than worry about any of that crap. So they've kind of put football above all else. And I don't know if we're going to see any kind of cultural change within the school or within the athletic department to maybe take a look in the mirror and see there's, Hey, you know what? There's some crap we really need to clean up and then we can worry about football or not. I doubt it. I would hope that somebody will. It's just, as we've seen time and time again with situations like this, maybe they will for six months, but then once the next story breaks and the eyes go somewhere else, then they'll just go back to business as usual. Cause it's, it's a, it's a shitty situation in that like last year, LSU had one of the most entertaining greatest college football teams of all time. But now I'll never really be able to look at that team again without the dark clouds of all this other stuff that are clearly that were going on at the time and they're now hanging over it. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's a really crappy situation. I don't think anything will come of it, at least based on what we see so far. I mean, like, you know, sure, they might have some internal changes, but as far as like football type stuff, I, I don't think it's going to really impact the product on the field or, or how things are run. But do you think that things are running smoothly at LSU? So this is not related to Les Miles at this point. So how much confidence do you have in, in the LSU football program in general? Well, I don't know. I got to check in with my, with my LSU guys, and, and we'll get to that in the uh, the SEC Spring Gleaning. Yeah, what's up, Shay? Come tell <laughs> yeah. us what's up. The the Machiavellian in me sits here and thinks that the minute Ed Orgeron has another down season, they'll use this as a reason to fire him with cause. Oh, man. And then they'll go about doing everything they were doing just with a new person in charge. Hmm. I mean, I think their cause might just be cause we want a new football coach. Right? <laughs> yeah, but you could use this and be like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I got you. we examined the culture of the program and we saw some concerning things that were why we're seven and six. If you had, if you had talked to me in New Orleans in the hours after the national championship win, I would have told you that I thought that Coach O was a made man in, in LSU history, and I don't feel that way at all. And some of that, again, I said if you had told me in New Orleans after LSU had won the national championship 
in New Orleans with that team, reversing all the bad mojo from never crossing midfield against Alabama in the national championship game. You know, the game that sort of doomed Les Miles to begin with. But then I remember we're sitting in the same division where Gene Chizik was told to uh, pack his bags and hit the street uh, just a few years after winning a title. So it can happen. I don't know if this particularly is what would uh, would bring about any kind of change. But, uh, yeah, no winners in the situation with Les Miles. We continue to wait and be prepared to bring you that emergency podcast uh, if LSU makes – if Kansas makes any announcement. Again, right now he is suspended amid an ongoing investigation. Cover three listeners. I've been telling y'all about Paramount Plus, and you've probably seen some of the promos. Yep, there's the Journey to Mount Paramount spots with Bill Cowher, James Corden, Stephen Colbert, Bryson DeChambeau, API winner on the weekend. Send it, young fella. Yeah, Bryson's up there on uh, Mount Paramount. It's live sports. It's breaking news. It is a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to movie night with Paramount+. Plus. So you can stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, and new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Star Trek, Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this. It's where you can dive into live sports from us, CBS Sports. That includes the NFL, March Madness, which right around the corner the masters after that and champions league soccer always going on baby plus stream hit shows from cbs nickelodeon mtv bet smithsonian channel and comedy central live sports breaking news and a mountain of entertainment paramount plus is streaming right now go and get yourself sign up paramount plus streaming right now coming up on the other side diving in the Clemson Tigers, and the rest of the ACC Atlantic in spring gleaning. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a survivor. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm going to play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The Clemson Tigers are, without a doubt, the, the class of the ACC, and they have moved themselves into a position where they occupy that space in a way that Ohio State does in the Big Ten and Oklahoma does in the Big 12. That anytime we talk about the ACC and what's going to happen on the football field, your number one stop has to be uh, in the upstate with Dabo Sweeney and this Clemson Tigers team that has rolled off six consecutive ACC championships. Now, the season didn't end the way they had hoped uh, as they did end up getting lit up by Justin Fields and the Ohio State offense. Trevor Lawrence didn't have an awful game, but frustrating as it marks his second uh, second straight season that ends in New Orleans in the Superdome uh, to, with a loss 
uh, to a blue blood, obviously the other one being in the national championship game against LSU. So as the Clemson Tigers say goodbye to Trevor Lawrence, they say goodbye to two-time ACC player of the year, Travis Etienne. We enter the DJ Uyunglele era. We've got a group of young wide receivers that, you know, we've mentioned several times on here, didn't quite develop or had injury issues such that, you know, we had to, like Cornell Powell's gone, Amari Rogers, uh, you know, Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence. We're, we're rebuilding things. Defensive side of the ball, totally different. If Mike Jones Jr. had stayed instead of transferring to LSU, we'd have every single uh, starter back, but we've also said goodbye to Darion Kendrick, but it is a, a loaded group, especially up front with a lot of those young players, Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, now a year older. So we have a game against Georgia on the schedule. And then of course the pursuit of another ACC championship and a college football playoff, uh, college football playoff, of course, being impacted by the results of that game against the Bulldogs with it being Clemson. I wanted to start with where are you concerned? Mm. <laughs> Can I say that I'm not? <laughs> You're, yes, that, I think that that's an answer. I'm I'm not all that concerned. I, I it's strange because there's there's an aspect to it where you know clearly Trevor Lawrence is gone, one of the best quarterbacks in the country for the last years, if not the best, going to be the number one pick in the draft. And typically, when you'd see that, they'd be like, all right, well cool. We got like a QB kind of battle to pay attention to going into the spring. That's going to be interesting for this team, but we already know who the QB is going to be. So that takes it out of it. So now it's like, okay, well, okay. Travis Etienne's gone. All right. Well, how are they going to replace him? Well, they'll probably replace him with the guy who's been his backup the last few years. Oh, and there's a five-star freshman coming in who's already enrolled. So maybe he'll get some, you know, time there. So there's really nothing to worry about there. Defensively, I think what was on Connolly's returning production rankings, their defense ranks one. third. Right. Third. Yeah. As far as like production coming back. So, all right. Everybody's back on defense. And the, while they're way down on offense, that's because of Trevor Lawrence and ETN, but they'll replace both of them. So, like, my only real concern about Clemson, and I don't know that it's a concern, concern is just receivers. Somebody needs to step up and be the guy because as we've spent so much time talking about on this podcast over the last season, receivers are becoming more and more important. And that felt like the one area where Clemson was deficient in comparison to the other college football playoff contenders last season. I, uh, Chip, this is a pattern with me because I think you've noticed I'm too patient with head coaches, right? You yes. called me out to have a couple times. You're like, you'd never fire anybody. With, I have another similar kind of character trait that I just, I get concerned with new quarterbacks. And I know DJ looked awesome, when he played and against Notre Dame on the biggest stage out there, you know, didn't miss a beat over 400 yards passing looked like he was totally calm in the moment. Like everything looked great. I just, I, I don't know. Like I still, there's a part of me that wants to see young quarterbacks struggle. Like, I, and Ooh. how do you respond after that struggle? Like I, like that's one of the reasons I was really bullish on Mac Jones at Alabama going into this season was because he threw two pick sixes against uh, Auburn in a loss the year before, but it didn't rattle him. Like he kept coming back and threw for, I think he ended up throwing for 40 yards in that game. And like, he was not phased at all. Like, I want to see how a quarterback does. Like what happens if DJ goes out and has a rough game against Georgia, which is not crazy to think that that could happen. Like, how does he respond to that? But in saying that, I'm not worried about Clemson winning the ACC. Mm -hmm. You know, like, to me, it's kind of like what we saw with Spencer Rattler last year with Oklahoma. Struggled early. They 
took their lumps and then they end up winning, you know, winning the big 12, but it's just enough to have them miss the playoffs. Like, I wonder if DJ has some learning curve type of game where it's a fourth quarter, like exactly what you saw with Spencer Rattler trying to squeeze balls into tight windows where they're open all the time, usually in practice or in high school, but then all of a sudden they're gone and it's an interception you lose and then that criticism starts coming your way. And then it's, well, man, we missed Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. And is DJ that good? Those types of criticisms come in and how does it impact your play? So, yeah, I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be awesome. But I don't, I don't, there's always that sliver of doubt in me that says, I don't know. Like maybe how does he respond? Is that a traditionalist move? Like I want to see, yeah, yeah like yeah. I want to I see guys grow. I don't want to see these guys come in here and just hit the ground running. I like it. Yeah, and then listen, and you will have a great, uh, a, a lot of space to yourself if you want to take in, take up a fade DJU uh, position <laughs> going into the year. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be like it's <laughs> that not can be, be all Colin you, Cowherd. baby. <laughs> it's not going to be my Colin Cowherd, Baker Mayfield, like the vendetta. <laughs> like I'm not going to have that. I'm just concerned. Like I think he's going to be awesome. He probably is going to be a number one overall pick, but for what it means, Clemson specifically, and what their goal is to win a national championship. I'm not christening DJ as the national championship winning quarterback just yet. Okay, if but Danny if, wants to squeeze DJU, I'm ready. Just like absolutely, like like squeeze that short, dude. <laughs> like, 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 let, let's let's AMC that thing. Um, I, I got I got a proposition though. If DJU tweets about seeing a UFO, can Danny then start <laughs> yes. talking about how? <laughs> yes, my quarterback wouldn't do that. Yeah. I never did that when I was a quarterback in big time college football. We can make it. Oh, man. I, I think I'm kind of there with Tom. I, I really don't have many concerns. This was already a really good football team last year. The, the defense the defense just couldn't get to that level, I think, where it needed to, to match up with, with what Trevor had, and Trevor was trying to carry that offense with your receivers that didn't really scare anybody. I mean, Cornell Powell had a nice year, but like that unit was supposed to be Justin Ross, and then, and then, he, you know, then he hurts his neck, right? Who, by the and way, is misses the whole back. Year. Back and apparently back like healthy enough to where Dabo's talking about him being the punt returner. Yeah. So like he might be like back back and uh, like re- real healthy and ready to go. I don't like DJ Williams too. I'm as soon as I was, you know, sitting there talking, I thought that as a freshman, EJ Williams had a good like couple games right near the end of the year where he was flashing in a way where I could see him being a bigger factor throughout the entire season. No doubt. And they, they, they've stepped up their recruiting in the last couple of years. I, I think the chance you get either one of Jonah Goddard or Frank Ladson to take a step is is pretty high. And so that should help solve some of their their issues on offense, which were lack of explosive plays through the air. They just didn't get the ball down the field on big plays like, like they used to. On defense, they had the exact opposite problem. They allowed a ton of bombs, and I think part of it was they had to blitz too much. Like the guys they had up front were either too young or too injured. But when I mean, you think about it, like Tyler Davis and, and X-Man and K.J. Henry and uh, Brzee and Murphy – all those guys are a year older. They're all back. I think the chance that they don't have a dominant defensive front is very low. And I think everybody in the secondary, including Andrew Booth, who's already awesome, will look even better for having that pass rush, and they won't have to blitz quite as much. Question for you, bud, because like I, I mentioned, they've got Will Shipley, who's a five-star coming in at running back, who I don't, would, would be surprised to see if he gets any snaps as fall because he is enrolled early, but just at the wide receiver position, because they've got two four stars that are enrolled early. There's Bo Collins 
out of California and Dakari Collins. So the Collins guys, will either of them, are, do you consider either of them to be the level to where they could make an impact as freshmen this year? Not really, but Shipley, I think, will will play because he, he catches the ball well. He, like we, we have APB, which is all-purpose back next to his name. I, I think he will get some run uh, for sure, and, and he catches the ball you know, really well. Uh, the One of the guys that I have heard uh, who might have some, some potential there to play early is uh, Alou Ba, who is a dude, um, I believe he's actually Canadian, uh, who came down to Clearwater and was somebody that Clemson was, was pretty high on. He was in the 20, was he a 20 kid? Some of these years from, from prior years blend together for me now. But I think he was 20, yeah. Yeah, so uh, not, not Alou Ba, excuse me, uh, Ajo Ajo. Oh yeah, water. yeah. That dude is like outrageous. He's pretty freaky. If he takes a step, that that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, all right, the Florida State Seminoles are going to be trotting out uh, transfer portal all stars, baby. And it's probably starting at the quarterback position as as we're watching McKenzie Milton. Uh, bit one of the biggest stories in all of spring practice is going to be a. Mackenzie Milton, the football player, human being, making his return to really high-level competition and B, seeing if he can provide a real difference-making option at the quarterback position, a position that has not been good for Florida State in recent years. Uh, even though when we start to look elsewhere on Florida State's roster, there's a lot, a handful, maybe even half-dozen other important transfers. We talked about Florida State a lot as we wrapped up the winners and losers of the transfer portal and how Mike Norvell is using that as a way to really address some issues. Now, there's also a little bit of a growing buzz, and Bud, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of around the tide turning, maybe on the 2022 cycle. And I would say that if you want to talk yourself into the idea that Florida State it's not going to be back, but at least seems to have things going in the right direction. Maybe it'll just be like a win. Maybe it'll be a couple of wins. You know, there could be some moments where you start to really talk yourself into the Seminoles. Now, I am saying all this with a couple Knowles here on the podcast, so uh, very curious to see if you've been sensing some of that same optimism. But as I started to dig around, I, I found myself allowing uh, the idea that Florida State was going to be a pretty competitive and interest pretty competitive team in 2021 and in the big picture one of the most interesting stories in college football if they can start to uh take multiple steps in the positive direction not just like one step forward two steps back so i guess to start with, with the recruiting thing yeah they, they definitely have momentum on the trail they, they've, they've done a nice job scouting uh i think they got some early commits from, from some really good players they got extremely lucky and that the the guy who is the best non-quarterback recruit in the entire country, Travis Hunter, who is pretty clearly like the best receiver and the best DB recruit in the whole nation, grew up a huge Florida State fan. His, his grandma loves Florida State. He's from Palm Beach. Like He's like, I don't care if they win one game. I'm going to Florida State. And he's probably their best recruiter, too. Like It's just not that often that you get a guy who is like that personable and that talented who grew up a mega fan of your school. I mean, Derwin James is probably the last dude I could think of and I think Travis is a little more vocal as far as leading the, the charge. So you need a bell cow like that to sort of pitch your message that, hey, yeah, they won three games last year, but this is this is going to turn around. So uh, pretty nice timing there. They're also in it for Marvin Jones Jr., who you may re recall the name Marvin Jones, <laughs> yeah, obviously. And if they can get him out of heritage, uh, then, then they would really be rocking and rolling there. Uh, but they got to win some games first, potentially. Like there are certain kids who do care how many games they win. And so for this spring – I mean, to me, on offense, it's all about the passing game. 
last year their passing game, it sucked, right? Like especially on downs when you knew they had to throw the ball. They, they did a really nice job with play action. Jordan Travis scrambled around a whole lot. The receivers are nothing special. I still think they're they're kind of kind of crappy. Um, running back, I don't think they have any real difference makers at running back. Milton should help some. We'll see how much they can integrate in the offense. And the offensive line, again, like when they had to drop back and pass and it wasn't off play action, they were bad. They kind of smoke and mirrors their way to points last year, and it says something that the offense was the better side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Remember the North Carolina game? They kind of rolled out Jordan Travis running the football and like play action with him, and it really opened some things. And they had this massive upset. Top then, five like, win, baby. Right, top five win. Top five. <laughs> but then like once people saw that element of the pass game, they just quickly adjusted and kind of – exposed Jordan Travis of more of a runner and his deficiencies in the past game really became evident. And then it was kind of back to square one where, man, just give me, give me Mackenzie Milton starting for 12 games, you know, like in, which would be a huge win. Give me some consistent play where I don't think you have to recreate the Heisman candidate, Mackenzie Milton. If you could, that'd be the best case scenario, but give me some stability. Give me a guy that you can count on to give you 65% completions, who's not going to throw a boneheaded interception at the wrong time or take a sack when he could throw it away or just the, the repeated mistakes you've seen at quarterback. Um, let's eliminate those. And I think that puts you in two to three more games that you had no chance winning this past year or two, but all of a sudden you have a chance in the fourth quarter and that kind of momentum can carry. And then maybe you get one of those games to swing your way. I love, I mean, trust me, I am on the Mike Norvell train after hearing him speak in person. I was ready to run through a wall for him, right? So I am fresh off of that message. I do think the further you are removed from some of Jimbo's players, from some of Willie Taggart's players, that you're starting to see, hopefully, for Mike Norvell, a shift in mindset just from a from a cultural, you know, inside that locker room when all of a sudden they're down or either way, either way, they're either winning by two touchdowns at the half and they implode and they totally panic and lose the game, which we saw a number of times the last couple of years, or they go down, they start yelling at each other, pointing fingers. Like those types of games need to stop happening. They need to learn to close out and they need to learn how to work their way through adversity. But I do think like Mike Norvell is preaching those types of things. I think bringing in a veteran, at quarterback, bringing in a lot of veterans who have been through ups and downs of college football have been in games where they've been down and they've come back. And I think that type of experience and that type of leadership, which is what you get when you go through the transfer portal could be really valuable. Now the question is like, what is a good season? Cause I get asked this all the time. Like, Hey, what should you expect this year? You start off with Notre Dame, like in, you know, at home, you know, to in a year when everyone's going to be, yes, Mackenzie Milton's our guy. Like, I don't, I don't think they're going to win that game. Do you, bud? Like, would no, you pick them no, to win that game? Yeah, no, I, I don't think they can block Notre Dame. Right. No, like, I, I think six and six is a good year for them. If they mm. make it back to a bowl legitimately, I think is a, is a good year. People don't want to hear that, but, like, we're going to talk more on this podcast. Guys, Wake Forest and NC State bring back a ton. You're going to yeah. be underdogs right. in those games. Yeah. Like, that's gonna, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, that's like, and then like, how do you get that, that like the mentality in the locker room? How do you keep encouraging? How do you keep? How do you gain momentum off of six and six? It's a tough, tough job to do. If you yeah. get a six six, you can you can say that you doubled your win total. Yeah, 
I, I think that's a key thing. I think that the mindset of this team is something that's worth keeping an eye on. And I think it's really important. And obviously, Milton McKenzie is going to be important. And that's kind of the headline. But for me, if I'm watching Florida State this spring, the thing I'm probably focusing on more than anything is the line play on both the offensive and defensive side, because the offensive line struggles have been well-documented for the last few years. It has not been good. But even last year, like Bud, you were talking about, that defensive front was not very good. They finished in tackles for loss per game. They finished four, or 14th of the 15 teams in the ACC last year that we were including Notre Dame. It, there just wasn't a lot of disruption and pressure from that front seven, which made it more difficult for the defense as a whole. So, I feel like it's going to be really hard for Florida State, even with McKenzie and a bunch of other transfers at other places. It's going to be difficult for them to take a significant step forward if we don't see significant improvement on both sides of the offensive and defensive lines going forward. So for me this spring, I think that should be an area of focus for them. And if I'm watching to try to figure out what it's going to be, that would be an area of focus. Because it's like you mentioned, like the record for this year, like six and six would be good. And that Notre Dame game is not the only tough game on the schedule. This is a team that is going on the road for for North Carolina, Clemson, and Florida. None of those are at home. It's a it's a brutal schedule in 2021. Well, Matt, and North Carolina. Hey, but right. Mac, Mac Brown's never beaten Florida State. Never That's beaten true. his alma mater. That's, I will say, if like I, I do think that there is room for significant improvement. And normally you wouldn't say that, like, hey, getting guys who are competent, accomplished SEC players off rosters whose coaches got fired, right? It would be a big deal. But the thing is, a return to competency on defense for a defense that was 85th in Connolly's defensive rating last year, if you can get to like 45th, that's a huge jump. Mm. I think that's actually doable, right? Like that that's their path to a bowl game, maybe a bowl game plus, you know, plus another win or two. Like that that's how they get there is with McKenzie Melton on offense. I, having seen what they worked with last year and that they were able to score points a lot more than I thought they could, I'm pretty bought in on what Mike Norvell can do offensively. I think he's a very good schemer. He, he finds ways to, to get points on the board. You know, Defensively, they didn't look very well coordinated last year. They didn't play together. They, they didn't get a lot of pressure up front, like, like you said. I, and they went out and they got, what did they take, five, yeah, five transfers on defense who were SEC starters. They're not studs, but they're. I think probably at least four of those dudes are going to start. And that should help them get back to like an average defense, I think. Well, you mentioned the NC State Wolfpack. They are up next. Coming off an 8-4 and four season, you look up and Dave Doran has won eight-plus games three times in the last four years. And this year he did it with his uh, starter, initially Devin Leary, not starting the beginning of the season because NC State had a lot of COVID issues and they had a lot of players out. They had to shut the program down. So Devin Leary needed some time before uh, he had his legs under him at the beginning of the season. He does take over as the starter playing really, really well, gets injured. Bailey Hockman has to come back in for NC State. Uh, so that that made things challenging. But still, they found ways to be able to persevere and overcome. Uh, I, th- I wonder if... Dave Doran, because remember, this NC State team was toe-to-toe with Miami on like a Thursday or Friday night playing in Raleigh. Game ended up being like a 44-41 shootout or something like that. Uh, They really probably should have beaten uh, Kentucky in the bowl game. This could have been a 9-3. This could have been a 10-2 kind of season for NC State. And it felt like it didn't come with a whole lot of buzz. They crept up into the top 25 near the end of the season, uh, I guess only to fall out after the bowl game. And so I... I wonder 
as we do, you like you mentioned, lots of starters back on both sides of the ball. Devin Leary, if he's fully healthy, should be uh, easily a top half of the ACC kind of quarterback and a real difference maker for the offense. Defensively, you lose Aleem McNeil, but I think Daniel jo- Joseph is an, an exciting player on that defensive line that I always turn back to. Is Dave Doran underrated? Yes. Mm. I it, just look at the production that he's had at this job. I mean, he took over three and nine his first season, then eight wins, two seven wins, and they kind of peaked at the nine win seasons. And then they had that four and eight year where you're kind of like, okay, well, things. There's one of those situations you see it all the time. Things come together at the right time. You get a veteran roster. You put together good seasons, and then that class leaves and things bottom out, and you're not sure where it's going. And then they rebound last year with an eight and four season, where they looked really good and they looked like one of the better teams in the ACC. And of course, the thing about the 2020 season that we'll always have to try to figure out, we'll never really be sure of, is had it been a normal season with a normal schedule, would things have played out the same way? We don't know. All we know is that NC State went eight and four, and this is a team that on an annual basis is maybe not you know competing for ACC titles, but is pretty solidly in that you know tier two of ACC teams that is capable of beating just about anybody any given week and is one of the better teams in the conference, but it's kind of continuously overlooked. I absolutely think he's underrated. I think a lot of it has to do with his personality. Like it's dull, you know, like it's just, he, I mean, he's kind of boring, like go to work, get my job done. But if he was out, you know, tweeting memes like Mike Leach or Lane Kiffin, uh, we would be talking a lot more about him and a lot more about his success. Um, He also, the fact that he plays in the Atlantic, it's just, it's kind of, you get lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm. If you played in the coastal and had like a signature ACC championship game appearance, I think we would perceive him differently where you look at his run of records that would have been good enough in the other division, but because he's lacking that because Clemson has dominated this side, it's just, we, he kind of gets overlooked. That's a true. After the four and eight season, I think I think fans fall victim to that too. Fans look yeah, at he the, was on uh, the hot seat going into last I, season. <laughs> yeah. That's what For I'm saying. I, but I think that's because like fans get bored. Like our coach doesn't. He's not fun. He doesn't come get the right. You know, like I think fans fall victim to that. They get. I mean, they get a little bit spoiled and they look around and say, "We want a coach with a personality instead of a coach with a consistent uh, winning record." I, I think he does. I, I agree that he's underrated. And it sounds like, Bud, you're, you, you'll at least be able to present the other side of this uh, on the Dave Doran judgment. But I give him credit for the program building. And, so you know, there's a lot of, like, key uh, strength and conditioning coach, D'Antonio Burnett, former NC State player who has really committed himself. And we've seen the way, like, Aleem McNeil was not supposed to be an NFL draft pick. You know, the guy comes out of Sanderson and ends up developing into one of the best defensive linemen uh, in the entire ACC. There's just offensive line, defensive line. It seems that they've really built out a consistency in the way that they teach the players, the way that they develop them physically. And the NFL picks that have been coming out of Raleigh suggest that the the infrastructure is good, and I give Dave Dorn a lot of credit for that. Some of that might just be making the right hires. Some of that might be just you know letting people do what they're good at. But there just seems to be like I think some people like working for Dave Doran because uh because he's not uh difficult to pin down right like you know exactly what you're gonna get. I can't speak to that. I would need to speak to more uh, NC State assistants. I know some people don't like him, but most people who get fired don't have nice things to say. But uh. And I don't know. Anyway, bud, where, where are you at with Dave Doran? I, I think he's fine. Like, I really don't think he's underrated. Um, 
I mean, I, I think NC State has good resources. I, I think you can do a decent job winning there. I, they were four and eight the prior year. Last year, he, he got an absolute gift of a schedule. I mean, if you recall, like their schedule was set not to be that easy, and then it became super easy. I mean, Wake, VT, and I was back when, when, when the Hokies had a bunch of COVID stuff, then they, they still get blown out by, by three touchdowns. They beat Virginia you know, and Liberty, though. Yeah, Pitt, Virginia, Duke, one of the worst Duke teams in a while. You know, UNC, they, they, they get blown out by four scores. Miami, they, they lose. Florida State, they blow them out. Liberty, one-point win at Syracuse. One touchdown win over, over a really bad Syracuse team. Georgia Tech, which kind of cratered but, you know, at the end of the year. They, you know, they beat them by, by 10. You know, Two-score loss to Kentucky in, in, in the bowl game. I, I don't know. Like, like I think if you, I think I think the advanced numbers have this thing right from last year, guys. Oh, like S and P. Yeah, this was not that impressive of a team. It had a good record, but like, so I'll say this: I'm actually in on this team this year. Okay, but I think last year's team was a hoax. Isn't that a good thing though? If he's if he has a team that's average with the advanced analytics, but he gets eight wins, isn't that a good thing? Not no, not if it's not repeatable. It's just luck. Um, well, I guess we'll find out this year. Right. I'm in on this year's team, though. Okay. Like, first of all, I really like Devin Leary. I got to see him at Elite 11 a couple years ago. He's got a big-time arm. I think he's a very good player. And I, I was talking to Corey Smith of Pack Pride on the 24-7 Sports Network, and he was telling me, look, Leary only got like three spring practices last year, and he missed almost all of fall with COVID. So he came in there and balled out, despite the fact he had almost no time in Tim Beck's new offense. He had to learn it all, you know, basically virtually. You get 10 starters back on offense – you get 10 starters back on defense. I really like this Josh Harris kid they have. I've heard he's getting in better shape at D-tackle to replace Aleem McNeil. He wrecked it in the uh, the Army All-American Combine. We had a couple years in the Al- go in the Alamo Dome, and I spent a couple minutes trying to figure out who the hell he was because his jersey got ripped off because they were having to hold him so bad. Um, <laughs> like, he's a pretty good player. I, I think this team, I think this team could be a whole lot better in terms of quality of play and also have the same record as last year's team. Because this year, this schedule is much tougher, and last year, like I think this year's team would beat the hell out of last year's team. Right, it might end up with the same record. Right, I can feel that. Uh, I am also excited about this NC State team. I am uh, curious. I am not excited, but I am curious to see how things go for Scott Satterfield at Louisville because you just cannot undo uh, the apology letter. Uh, about the South Carolina job and the explanation, uh, which was, you know, we discussed here on the cover three podcast. On one hand, I appreciate that he is trying to, you know, be honest about his desire to be close to family, but on the other man, it just, it did not seem to play well with the fan base. And, you know, I, I try to not allow my definition of the fan base to be what I see on sports radio or hear on sports radio or see on Twitter. I try to understand that, especially at a program like Louisville that is so tied into that community, the fan base can, uh, include, you know, the, it can include more level-minded uh, analysis. And Scott Satterfield did a fantastic job in year one. But after going four and seven, falling well short of expectations, an offense that uh, on paper was going to be really, really good. You know, now all of a sudden, you know, you've got a couple coaching moves. You've got a couple of departures, including Tutu Atwell. Malik Cunningham is back, but again, you're just not you're not fired up about he- saying Malik Cunningham is back like you were a year ago. So uh, I am in, 
I am intrigued about Louisville and all the spring practice ongoings and the media availabilities through the lens of the Scott Satterfield uh, stock price. How about that? In the eyes of the the Louisville fan base. Am I, am I just like way too caught up in the drama here? No, I, I think the first month or so of the season will probably be huge for Louisville. So I think that this spring is very important for them. And I, I agree with you. I, you know, they lose Tutu Atwell. They lost Javion Hawkins. Malik Cunningham is back. Although they have had a couple of transfer quarterbacks come in and Shy Wirtz and Luke McCaffrey. Although Wirtz sounds like he's going to be Tutu Atwell's replacement in the slot for the most part. Not sure what Luke McCaffrey's role is, if he's just there to provide competition and maybe earn the starting job or if he's just depth at the position or what. But just looking at what they have going into next year as far as the schedule, because you mentioned the Satterfield stuff the you know kind of the fan base kind of not really taking that very well and understandably so like they open the year with Ole Miss and they get an Eastern Kentucky bye game but then they got UCF at Florida State at Wake and Virginia that's a pretty you know there's there's some landmines there and if Louisville gets off to a slow start considering everything that happened with the South Carolina job and the way that was handled, it might be really difficult for Satterfield to find solid footing again, going forward with the program. So it's going to be interesting. So I think this is a very important spring for a team that lost a lot on defense has to replace a lot of its production is losing a lot of production on offense and has a lot of question marks. So I think, I don't think there's really one area in particular that I think you need to focus on. I think there's a lot of things that Louisville needs to figure out this spring and over the summer to going into the season. I, I kind of think that chip, you are overreacting a little bit. Cool. Um, just looking at like the quality of play, the, the stuff we can actually measure. They were extremely lucky in 19, right? Like they, they should not have had that record. And then last year they were very unlucky mm-hmm. as far as how the ball bounced for them. In fact, I mean, if you look at like the Vegas power rating stuff, 2020 Louisville is a decent bit better than 2019 Louisville, but the record didn't show that. Mm. The thing is, it, like if you want to be successful as a head coach, you do kind of have to time like you you gotta you gotta catch it right, okay? We, and, and there's there's a narrative that forms. Hey, they're really good year one, and they regressed in year two. I don't think they regressed. I think their record regressed. I don't think they actually were that much worse. They played a tougher schedule, and they didn't get the bounces that they would normally get. You know, they had some games that didn't go you know, go their way necessarily. But also, they have a lot of firepower to replace, man, a, a whole lot, and that that scares me a little bit. Like. Did they waste a really good potential team last year on a year where they didn't get bounces? They had some tough breaks, and you know now they got now Atwell, Desmond Patrick, Javian Hawkins, all those dudes are gone. I I worry about their explosiveness on offense some, and yet I do think Satterfield's a pretty good coach. Uh, zero and four games decided by seven points or less. They did play Notre Dame twelve seven. Like it was one of Notre Dame's just, ugliest that game games. Was just it was awful. disgusting, and that was the game where like Notre so Dame was windy. like. Yeah, Notre Dame was like 0 for 4 in the red zone. Yeah. So that that wasn't really a five-point game. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, all five offensive linemen back. It's good news up front. Uh, but how crazy is it, though, that would anybody have guessed after 8 and 5 year one that one year later Scott Satterfield would be in the hot seat? Now, granted, a lot of that's because of the way he handled the uh, coaching interview process. But I do think he's on the hot seat. And I do think I agree with Tom. Like the way this season starts off – Cause I bet that trust, that bond between him and his players is really like kind of teetering right there. And if you start off with a couple wins, 
you kind of it's oh yeah that's our guy he he committed to us you know we're we're back like can you get that kind of feel good mojo going but if you don't oh man if you start off rough then those players are going to man this coach was about to leave us you know <laughs> like it's just it's the fickle nature of not only the fans but the players in that locker room too one of the best uh, first-year coaching jobs for my money was Jeff Halfley. He got Boston College to 6-5. and five. We got to see, um, you know, Phil Dracovic and his connection with Zay Flowers was absolutely fantastic. Flowers goes for 1,000 yards. And guess what? They're both back. So, Boston College uh, exceeded expectations in year one. Bud, to shout out narratives that do get formed, um, do you think that that was a true uh, judge of sort of where Boston College was level of play? And are you expecting the are you expecting there to be any kind of linear trajectory, or is a, a winning record like seven and five is is that sort of where we should peg Boston College and for the time being? That's kind of about where where I, I would probably expect it, them you know, them to be. I. I so I, I talked to, to Tyler Calvaruso at, at Eagle Insider, and he was like, look, they bring back quite a bit, you know, and they, they should probably take a step forward. Now, David Bailey, the running back, was really good for them last year, mm-hmm. and they don't have, like, a clear dude. Like, like at Clemson, it's pretty clear. Jalen Dixon, unless somebody else really emerges, is probably going to take over for, for Etienne. But, like, at BC, they got a bunch of names. I don't know if they have the dude who's, like, the guy for sure. And one of them is, you know, West Virginia transfer Alex Sinkfield. We'll, we'll see, we'll see how, how well he's able to factor in defensively, I think this is where they could show some serious improvement. I know Jeff Hadley's a defensive coach, but they were bad on defense last year, guys. Yeah. I mean, they were 98th in the country in defense. That's that's poor. Uh, they didn't really feel like they had a chance to get their install in in the spring, and that's a common theme. Like, NC State feels the same way, Boston College. A lot of these teams that had new coordinators didn't get their install in. Um, they do lose Isaiah McDuffie and Max Richardson in the middle of the defense. That's kind of Significant. a problem. The what? I was just saying significant. Yeah, right. Exactly. But like they bring in some transfers, maybe true freshman Bryce Steele can carve out a role there for spring practice. Uh, but I think if they're able to take a step forward, it's because they're, they're able to be solid on offense again. And the defense takes a step forward due to continuity, better understanding the scheme, that type of stuff. I also think their defense would be helped out if they could run the ball better because like they were, they were pretty one dimensional yeah. on offense last year. And I think that if you're able to at least not not be like a top tier rushing team, but they averaged like three point one yards per carry. Just help help balance things out a little bit. They were bizarro Boston College last year. Like they were exactly yeah. the opposite of what they've been because they've been average to below average quarterback play with some of the best running backs in the country, and they played really AJ tough Dillon. defense. Yeah, like you could just <laughs> roll through all ACC running backs. Yeah, so now we've given the exact opposite of what they were last year. Their quarterback was awesome, showed some really bright signs of potential. They were 118th in rushing in the country, and their defense couldn't get off the field. So somewhere in there, there's a balance, but I do think Phil Dracovic was a bright sign of this offense, and because he's coming back with an entire offensive line, I feel like they'll get the offensive line, uh, the run game going. And I, I like Jeff Halfley. I think he's the right guy for the job. And I think I wouldn't be surprised in another two years if BC fans are worried about losing Jeff Halfley. Mm, I agree with that. Uh, yeah. You got anything else on BC? I was going to go to Wake next. Wake, Wake Forest sleeper team in ACC 2021. Tell me I'm wrong. This team is going to be old. 
old. It's already a program that comes in and like wants you to redshirt, has a bunch of redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, get old and stay old. Well, they're going to have like, I mean, 23, 24-year-olds. It's going to be just a, a, a bunch of like former minor league baseball players out there where you just have bizarro ages. I, I think that that is like the ideal, the extra year of eligibility and sort of the way that this Wake Forest program is built is made to be able to hit the ground running. I'm excited about what this team can do. Sam Hartman is back. Sam Hartman, who he threw only one interception in the entire regular season. He threw four interceptions in 12 snaps against Wisconsin in the bowl game. I don't know. It was weird. Bad day. But Sam Hartman's back. Uh, they Again, they have a ton of experience. And it's worth going back and sort of looking at uh, how disjointed the season was for the Demon Deacons because there was a stretch in the middle of the year where it they were playing some of the best ball in the ACC outside of Clemson. So, Wake Forest, sleeper in 2020 wrong. 2021, tell me I'm wrong. I don't, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I, I think that we've reached the point with Dave Clawson's program that you just expect a certain level of competency. And I think we're probably going to see that certain level of competency where this is a wake for team That's probably going to go to a bowl game. It's probably going to play some teams that we feel like it shouldn't play that well against better than we think. And it might have a couple bad games here and there, but it's not going to get blown out very often. It's going to be in the, it's going to be in the running. It's probably going to score a lot of points. The question is going to be how often are they able to stop the other team from scoring points? We're probably going to take some overs. It's probably going to be a good time and we should probably just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. I I think they're like, I'll, I'll buy them as a sleeper in terms of everybody will just put them at the bottom of the division because that's kind of what happens every year. And I think they're probably a little bit closer to the middle of the division. I don't think they're going to like challenge Clemson. I don't think they're going to they're going to have a real chance to finish second in, in the division or like that. But they do return a ton of experience. I mean, they they, they got to replace Boogie Basham, right. which is a big deal because he was a stud for them on defense. Uh, can Hartman take the next step? Which you might have to because their run game was still kind of iffy. They got wrecked at, at with injuries at safety last year, so I, I'm interested to see like who's actually their starters at safety. Like who's going to step up and and be the guy? Because like last year it was just a rotating cast of injury. The uh, wide receiver position also got Sage Strat uh, opted out, but even then they started losing players to injury left and right, and they still had playmakers. I got to go in. The, I don't have the wide receiver coach or pass game coordinator on top of mind for Wake Forest, but uh, that is a that that is a position where I feel like they've done a good job of prioritizing as they have slowly moved to this sort of up tempo attack to be able to have just player after player that's going to be uh, good at wide receiver in that system. Yeah, they, like Jakari Robert Roberson has been well. I think they, they've they just done a good job of identifying what they want and what they look for at that spot, and they keep finding it and plugging it in and getting good results. All right. Uh, Danny, you got anything on Wake? Third or fourth best team in the uh, Atlantic. I don't, when you say surprise, were you saying they could be the second best team? Yes. I don't feel confident in uh, – I don't feel confident saying that Florida State, Boston College, or Louisville – or NC State are definitively better or will finish with a better conference record than Wake Forest. Does right, the second place does the second place team in the AC, in the AC Co- or AC Atlantic have two or more than two two conference losses? Yes. I think so too. Yeah, I think second place is five and three. It's Louisville. Yeah. It's Louisville finishing solo second two years ago in Scott Satterfield's first year, but they did it with a five and three record and you know 
kind of some fortunate bounces along the way. I think that that pile of teams below Clemson is quality. Like I, I think that they're all bowl teams, but who finishes on top is probably going to be uh, very, very narrow margins. Finally, is it going to be too lazy just to put Syracuse number seven when no. we're filling out the? No. Okay, I mean, nope. like, what's Syracuse known for? Like Dino Babers, like when they had their ten win season, it was putting up points. You know, a really prolific offense. Like last year, their offense was just awful and there's a chance that it'll improve and things will improve because you got to remember like going into the year they had players opting out then they were dealing with injuries and they were really a shell of a football team for most of the season so it's hard to know how much of that was where the team stands or the circumstances it was in so there is reason to be optimistic about it if you think that if you're hoping that it was just kind of the circumstances that they had to deal with and they didn't do a good job dealing with them. Now we're starting a new year, get spring practice. Everything's going to be better. Maybe, but I just don't know what I saw last year from that team that could have me coming into 2021 feeling very optimistic about what's going to happen. I talked to uh, Stephen Bailey at Cuse nation and he gave me a little bit of reason for hope, but also like raised some more questions I hadn't even thought of, which is not great because they're already the, the, the worst team in the league. So last year they did put in a brand new three, three, five defense and they only had three days to do it in spring yeah. practice. Uh, <laughs> and if you guys recall, like the first couple games, it actually kind of worked. Like it, it, it had UNC befuddled for probably about three quarters. Pitt had a little trouble with it. Georgia tech had a little trouble with it. And then I think teams realized, wait a second, like, is this all they run? Because they only had very limited time to install their stuff. They didn't have any counter punches. So then teams were like, yeah, this is what Syracuse runs. Duke, that Duke team puts up 38, Liberty puts up 38, Clemson 47, Wake Forest 38, uh, Notre Dame 45, NC State 36, Louisville 30. Uh, basically, they didn't have anything else. Uh, they did discover Michael Jones, who's a stud at linebacker. And it, like I feel like every nice thing I say about Syracuse, they have a negative. It's like Lee Pogba is still suspended, and we have no idea if he's going to be just like you know, off the team or not. They they also lose Cisco and some other important dudes in the secondary, and their defense was the best side of the ball mm-hmm. last year. So uh, they they'll be break, better. They'll yeah, be better. Well, they'll they be were better. they were young yeah. and tiny, and yeah. like at one point, they, remember we said uh, they got the FCS line for Clemson because they were fielding an FCS team. They had right. like sixty scholarship players dressed out, and thirty of them were underclassmen. Like they were, they were young and experienced and tiny. So, and they had to practice in a state, which was one of the more stricter COVID protocols out there. You know, like probably had less time on the field with their players than any other team in the ACC and maybe, you know, fewer than anybody in the country. That's a good point. So, um, O-line might be better. Like that's the one thing that's been really, really bad for them. And they, they do have some young guys. They're fairly excited about who they think like, this is the year they'll take a step running back. They, they get uh, Adams and Howard both came back. That's good. So that's that's pretty loaded in the backfield. And uh, DeVito is back. He suffered that season-ending injury like, what, three or four weeks into the season? So, you know, all the promise of Jim Tan Laundry in all of his glory, being able to uh, to get out there and ball, you know, maybe And I think he's cut out it. Schrader, by the way. Like, so that, remember Garrett Schrader from, from Mississippi, Mississippi State? State transfer. Yeah, they brought him in. I think, I think DeVito wins that. Mm. I, just, I just want the dome to be electric. That's all we want. We'll, we'll we'll have the Dino drop on here again. I I, I feel it. I hope it's not for the Dino's been fired. Yeah, I know. I, I feel it. I feel it in my bones. We can do it. 
You can follow him on Twitter at Buddy at Bud Elliot three. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.